Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have the drummer for Morgan Wallen, Mark Taco Anino. You're going to hear the story of Mark growing up in Miami, Florida, and what first got him into music. You're also going to hear the stories of him touring with the rock band Adam Smash, how he first met Morgan Wallen, and his favorite memories out this year on the Dangerous Tour. I had a great time talking to Mark. I hope you guys enjoy, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter. You gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. How you doing today, Mark? Good, man. How are you? doing great so getting right into your story you grew up in miami florida what was your childhood like man i was um it was pretty great i I was very fortunate to have um sort of uh or like supportive parents i didn't have i didn't come from like a musical family or anything like that um necessarily um it was just something that kind of gravitated to me when i was in elementary school um i was lucky enough in my elementary school that we had like an after school band program which isn't isn't usually normal at that age. It's, um, there might be like, you know, one day a week, just the whole, your whole class maybe has some sort of music thing, but it was neat that that particular school or county or whatever it was at the time had, I had the ability to join an after school extracurricular band program. Um, and when I, I just, for some reason, I always kind of like, I've always, I had an interest in music and didn't know, I didn't know what I was going to play or how I just signed up and then everyone what they do is they have everyone try out a bunch of different instruments before you they kind of you settle into something and a lot of people that started in elementary school on those instruments whether it be saxophone or trombone trumpet tuba whatever it is didn't even stick with that maybe as they got older but um, I was a little intimidated by the horn the wind instruments actually so I I, I picked percussion just off of a like a the basis of ease it was what, at least what I thought at the time um yeah. and that was it once I started doing that it, I never really stopped you know um as far as the music stuff goes but before that do you even remember like banging on like pots and pans or anything like that do you like have any earlier like memories like that no I mean I feel like <clears throat> my dad did play a little bit um when he was in uh in the army and uh he had you know some like he did it more as a hobby or just like a talent, you know, or just a, like a, he had a little bit of talent and he, he could, he could play never anything too serious, but um, he maybe pushed it on me a little bit when I was from the times that I can't remember, but not a whole lot. Like I kind of definitely made the decision on my own, okay. um, but no, I wasn't really doing any of that until then. Yeah. So like in, in school, like fourth, fourth grade, I was in percussion and I was playing, you know, one, concert snare drum and kind of starting to learn how to read music that sort of thing um and then I always tell this story and it's interesting because it really it the more I look back it kind of boggles my mind how old this movie is but um there's this movie called uh, it's a Tom Hanks movie called That Thing You Do I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard of it a lot of people have usually when I bring it up um I think it was like a straight to like it was like a tv movie it wasn't even like I don't remember it being in a theater or anything like that I mean we it came on like regular cable network television mm-hmm. and uh we watched it and I actually we back then we used to record stuff on VHS so we could go back and watch things again so we did that 
Um, and I just remember that movie being kind of solely, uh, fo- you know, focalized around the drummer. And that kind of got me, sort of sparked something extra in me. Um, once that movie came out, I actually ended up building a drum set out of crap in my house, like trash cans and cardboard boxes and, and whatnot. And uh, I used to put that movie on repeat, kind of like rewind the VHS tape, just playing along to the movie. Um, didn't know what I was playing. I didn't have a bass drum or pedals or anything like that. So I was just using my hands, but like it was, that was fourth, around fourth or fifth grade. And then my dad saw me build this contraption upstairs and he's like, well, I guess it's kind of, maybe we should look into getting a real, a real drum kit. Um, so that was, that's how I got my first kit was a uh, fifth grade. So I guess you're like 10 or 11, I guess at that time, but that's when I got my first kit and fell in love with it ever since. Now, other than that movie, uh, who were some of the first bands or albums you were listening to that really got you into music? I was, when I started, when I had that that real kit and how I taught myself how to play was playing along to music, obviously. Um, at that age, I wasn't really old enough to make a distinction of what I liked personally. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I was still just being playing all the stuff that my parents brought me up on, which was, at the time, it was, they were, it was very separated. Like, my mom had me listening to Earth, Wind & Fire and some disco or funk stuff. And then my, my dad had me into the classic rock of like, you know, Zeppelin, the Beatles and, um, you know, things in that vein, sure. blood, sweat and tears, Chicago. Um, so that's what I, that was, that's the music I liked. I didn't know anything else existed at that age. I didn't know that there was modern music. Um, and I don't know if that's just because back then, you know, I'm 35 now. So, you know, it was a good amount of time ago, you know, 25 years. I don't know if that was, like just because it wasn't as available as it is now, you know, there was no streaming, you know, there was barely CDs at that point. Um, But I think that that's kind of what eventually what happened was I started learning how to play drums to those, to those major artists, you know, at the time. And I'll say that I wasn't till maybe sixth or seventh grade when I started like really making friends, like with other kids in band and stuff and they were introducing me to music that I had never even knew existed the first two modern day music for me then the first two modern cds I ever bought were Blink-182 and Green Day and the Metallica Black Album so like those three were like my introduction into modern day music so naturally I, I grew to love that I was a huge Blink fan I was a huge Green Day fan I may still am but like that was what I was listening to and playing drums to and wanted to learn all the parts and, you know, all that stuff. Um, so obviously I fell in love with like, you know, Travis Barker and Trey cool and all that stuff. And it was, that was my introduction to it. I, and that was, that was the beginning. I mean, there's more, as I got older, things adapted, but, um, but yeah, that was, that was what I was into. I was listening to earth, wind and fire and blink 182. Was how I learned how to play drums. <laughs> now, did you get uh, your name, uh, your nickname Taco as a child or was this later in life? Definitely later in life. Um, and it wasn't necessarily by choice. So um, a lot of people always ask me two questions. They, 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 they want to know if it's just something I have with the food, you know, or my nationality or whatever, which I'm Italian. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a, a Florida raised italian like new york italian mm-hmm. my parents are both from like new york new jersey um but the taco thing so later in life we'll fast forward kind of a bunch of years but um the rock band that i was in um adam smash 
Um, we were signed to Sony Jive back in 2010. Um, we did a record, put it out um, with the label. But around that time, we were touring. Um, you know, our lead singer used to kind of introduce us on stage at some point in time. And um, no one really would remember my name or anyone's name, really. It was just kind of like like my real name. It was just like, and Mark, like didn't really have any didn't have a ring to it as like a stage name, right? Yeah. Um, but we used to do like down in South Florida, we used to play like eight, like we would do like, we did a Halloween party once just for fun with some friends and we all dressed up in like 80s get up and played a bunch of 80s songs and we had fictitious names for each of us kind of just as a gag. And uh, mine was Taco Rico, mm -hmm. which at the time we just did it because it was funny. Um, and then that kind of like, stuck for a minute and I my singer wanted to introduce me he's like you should just go by that like let me I'll introduce you on stage but I was against it I was I don't want that thing anywhere I don't want it on any official documentation I don't want like I was so against it but one show he decided to introduce me as taco and he was like let's see what happens and he did and after the show everyone was looking for me by name like it was like or they would see me and they would they would say, oh, there's Taco or where's Taco? And that was like such an easy thing. It was such an abstract name at the time that it was almost, it was memorable because it was abstract. Right. So I was like, all right, well, I guess that's my nickname. And then it's just, you know, every person that I've met through that source of people knew, knows me as Taco. Um, my friends back at home don't call me Taco. Like all my friends from high school and people I grew up with, they, they call me Mark. And then my kind of work friends, family, they call me Taco. And if any of them call me the opposite, it's the weirdest thing ever. I've, I've just grown to know it so much. It's yeah. incredible. Now, uh, rewinding a little bit before Adam Smash, were you playing in any local like bands in high school or anything like that? Yeah. Um, in high school, my first band ever was was put together of some kids all in, in the band program with me. Um, it was a band called Lithium. We were like a pop punk ska band. Um, and that was just, you, you gravitate towards that because you just have a bunch of friends that want to get together and play. And naturally you, you know, horn players when you're in band. So we were like, how do we make every, how do we give everyone a thing to do? You know? Um, so we, we had, we had a trombone player and um, yeah, that was my first real band. Um, we didn't tour or anything. We would save up money and go record at a local studio. And I think we did like three like we went to the studio like three times and recorded like three different EPs over the course of uh, four years, maybe four or five years. Oh, wow. Um, and that was middle school into the beginning of high school. Um, then in high school, you know, you meet even more people. And that was kind of when I, I was introduced to like the post hardcore, like screamo stuff, like was friends that I met in high school that were all listening to that stuff. And I'm like, what's this? This is really cool. Um, and I got into that. Um, and in high school, like that other band kind of, um, subsided and I joined another band called Unwanted Superheroes, um, which was like a screamo post-hardcore band and, mm -hmm. you know, very, very emo at the time. Um, but it was great and we had a lot of fun. We, that was all through high school and a couple of years after high school, actually, um, we kept that going. It was all friends based, you know, we would play, you know, the, like there was a lot of local venues back then, like, Um, there was a lot of local venues back then yeah. um, that, 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 that allowed, you know, teenage, younger music to come do shows, like all ages shows was more of a, was more of a thing then than it, it kind of 
before I moved to Nashville, that stuff started really dying down. Like those places were going away. There was less and less places for high school kids to go play original music. It was just not a, the cover band scene really took off, but you know, the local band scene kind of died out down there a little bit. I mean, it exists, but there's not a lot of places to play, but yes, I did. I did play in those two local bands before I did anything that was semi-professional. Yeah. Now coming out of that is when you started playing with the Adam Smash guys. Yeah. Um, well, between those two, there was another band called Sunday driver that was signed to doghouse records. Um, and this was back in like 2000, I want to say seven. Um, and we actually, that I auditioned for that band. They were signed and they had already had a record out. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is my, this is my big moment. You know, I, I'm, to me, be, back then in high school and being in local bands, the goal was to be signed at any capacity. You wanted to sign, be signed and tour because that's what you looked up to. You know, you wanted to be on Warped Tour is what you wanted to do. Um, so when this, when this, I met through a restaurant I was working at, a mutual friend of mine, knew the singer for this band and they needed a drummer and I was like hey um I'll audition they put me in contact with them and I went and auditioned and got that gig and as soon as I got in the band they got dropped from the label like during the production of their second record so we never actually got to tour we did a couple of one-off like band trips but we never did any real touring Mm -hmm. um so we just once again played locally at an older level now like it didn't really progress much from when I joined the act It kind of, they kind of had their day, you know? Um, so that was that, but then that bridge people that were in that band, the bass player in that band said he was working with another guy who's starting this active rock project. And it was a lot of the same investors and like management and people that were working with it. Um, and I was like, sure, I'd be down. So I auditioned for that. And that's how I got the, the gig with Adam smash and that kind of, once again, that fast forwarding, even through that, I was in Adam smash for, for many years before I'm still am like, we, we don't tour, but like, we, we just put out some new stuff recently for fun, but that was like 2010 was the big year for that. And, you know, that lasted for, you know, four or five years of, of constant touring and stuff and um, trying to do it and kind of subsided everyone, you know, we got dropped from the label and everyone kind of went their separate ways for a moment. Um, but the lead singer for that band is how I know Morgan because he was um, living in Knoxville and Morgan was in Knoxville at the time. And before he wanted to go on the voice, he wanted to get some vocal coaching. So the lead singer for Adam smash Sergio Sanchez. Um, he actually was the one who called me up and was like, Hey, I'm working with this kid. He just came off the voice and he wants to keep doing this, but he's super talented and we're going to write some stuff together, but we need a, he needs a band. So he called up all of us, like most of the old Adam Smash guys and asked if we wanted to be his band. And that's pretty much what happened. Um, yeah. Hey, I hope you guys are enjoying this episode. And I'd like to take a pause to thank this week's mid-break sponsor, Snail Lax. Their name says it all. Slow down your fast-paced life to a snail-like pace. As touring musicians, it is crucial that you keep your body loose and relaxed on the road. And that's why Snail Axe offers an array of health and personal care products that are designed to target specific areas of your body, ranging from your head, neck, shoulder, back, and lumbar down to your feet. I personally use one of their massage guns, and I have to tell you, it really does rejuvenate you. They're currently running a fall sale, so use code AS30 for 30% off your next order. Check them out for yourself at snailax.com. That's snailax.com, and enjoy the rest of the episode made you decision to move to Nashville in 2015 then is because of Morgan? It did. 
Yep. I was not, um, I, I was <clears throat> still in South Florida doing my own thing. I was, I was doing a big cover band circuit. I had kind of my own little business with that. Uh, I was doing a lot of feeder. I was pretty much an independent drummer in South Florida that I took a long time to get known as, and I was getting a lot of work. So there was really no reason for me to leave other than still wanting to pursue that major dream of going on the road, touring in a bus, you know, playing in front of thousands of people, you know, take your pick of the part of the dream. But it, I still wanted that, you know, for myself. Um, I said, you know what? And this is, I was 27, 28, I think. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to do this, let me go try. This is the reason I never thought about moving to Nashville just blindly, like just because um, I just had too much going on in South Florida to really just leave that all behind for like to move to a city and work in a restaurant and not know anybody and not have anything to do really. I'd have to go out there and network myself, which is people do it and it's possible. Right. Um, but for me personally, you know, I wasn't going to do that. So I, with this opportunity with Morgan, I mean, Morgan didn't have any, anyone looking at him at all at the time. I was like, but we were taking, he was taking trips to Nashville and getting meetings and everyone was like, you got to move to Nashville. You got to move to Nashville. So we're like, all right, I guess we're moving to Nashville. So I said, I'm going to move. I'm going to give it a year, see what happens. If things progress, I'll give it another year. I think, you know, that was kind of my plan because I could always just move back to Florida, kind of keep doing what I was doing. I figured like a year removed, I could probably go back to Florida and continue what I, what I left, Yeah. you know? So that was kind of my backup plan was just go back to Florida and go back to doing what I was doing before I was forgotten about or replaced down there. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, I was very fortunate enough and blessed that it did all work out. For sure. Now, what do you remember about the first time you met Morgan, like in person? Honestly, I was really nervous because um, he actually came down to Florida was when I first met him because we were working with a producer down there that we knew recording some of his original stuff. Um, and I remember I was the one that was going to pick him up at the airport and take him over to the producer's house. And all I remember was seeing him on TV, you know. Um, never talked to him on the phone, nothing. It was all through, all communication was through mutual friends and, and people that we knew. So, I mean, I, I was just, I don't want to use the word starstruck, but like, I don't think I've ever legitimately met anyone that was on TV ever right. by that. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is going to be crazy. You know, like I, so that was it. I was nervous to meet him actually, but it was really simple. You know, at first we just, we all hung out when I wasn't even doing anything at the studio. I was just kind of there hanging and getting to know him. It was, it was really fun, but yeah, that's my first experience of meeting Morgan was I was, I was nervous because I didn't, all I knew was he was on television. <laughs> now, were you with him during like the early club days? Like I remember seeing like an interview with him on the Bobby cast of him talking about just doing like four hour cover gigs, like not even knowing half the words and stuff. Like, were you with like on those dates? I mean, so me, uh, myself, Luke, our bass player, and Dominic, our guitar player, one of our guitar players, the three of us have the are the only like we're the we the only people that have been in his band like since day one. Mm -hmm. So like, what I mean is that Morgan hasn't played a show without us ever. So, wow. um, but yeah, we were there. That was after we moved to Nashville. Um, there was, there was, you know, Morgan, like I said, he had some meetings with uh, William Morris Entertainment at the time and Kevin Neal, who kind of, you know, took him under his wing at first. And he was like, well, because we we're trying to go play shows, you know, how do we, how do we go open for this artist or go get, you know, and he's like, well, 
first you got to go out there and get used to sort of doing this. So he kind of made us, Kevin Neal made us go and play, you know, 40 cover songs, learn 40 cover songs, and then booked us at, you know, this place in Virginia. I think it was called Sidewinders. I think it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we had a couple of like one-off cover, three-hour, four-hour cover gigs where we maybe played a handful of originals, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it was mostly covers. And that was really just to get out there and get our feet wet as a, as an act, like as a, as a, you know, go out there and travel a little, you know, play together, kind of rough it, like whatever it was, it was just getting us all to be on stage together and Morgan to get used to just kind of performing and being a front man in front of people that don't know who he is. You know, Um, it was an exercise, I think more than anything else. Um, So we did maybe three or four of those. Um, That was about it though. It wasn't like a, we weren't grinding, trying to make money as a cover band or anything like that. Sure. We all had jobs. We all had restaurant jobs, including Morgan. Wow. Now, what, what has it been like to see just the rise from like saying you did cover gigs to now doing stadiums? I mean, and what's your favorite memories from the Dangerous Tour so far? Well, I'll say this, like every year that we've done a tour, every year actually has been a, a, like a perfect progression of the year prior. So you know, we, we, when we first got signed and we started doing radio tour, it was just three of us going to, you know, going to offices and playing, you know, promoting the single, which was the way I talk at the time. Um, and that was like, oh, this is cool. Like, we've never done this before. Yeah. But then you like, you start doing it, you're like, man, I can't wait to go on, a, like to go play live or full band and then, or on a real tour. And then the next year we did that and we were opening for, you know, Florida Georgia Line and, um, who else we, we did like dates with Cole Swindell or Aldine, right? whatever. Uh, well, that was, didn't come till later. But oh, okay. This was, this was like, this was like the way I talk was a single. Like oh, there was, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like nothing else was even a thought. This was just the first real touring we ever did. We had a van, you know, uh, our first real, actually we did a tour with Chris Lane too. It was actually our first like dated tour where it was like, we had a schedule. Um, and at the time it was just, the, it was just the five of us. It was four band members and Morgan. I was, I was tour managing and doing merch and dancing shows and doing all that stuff at that time. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, like every, the, the memory comes from just every, every year has its own specific memory. It's like the, the day we rode a bus for the first time, that was a big memory. And then after that, it was the day that we, got to headline our first show like like the up down tour like that was a memory or then the next then we got more production and we're like oh man like every every year had its own progressional thing that created a memory um and it's weird because it's it sounds like trivial things but for for us like production and size like the audience is getting bigger is almost natural in a way like you you don't expect it but like when it happens, you've, you've played for so many people and the progression of like, you go from 40 people to like a 200 cap room to a 500 cap room to a thousand cap room. So when you get to the point where you're headlining, you know, 18, 19,000 people, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it's, it's, it's amazing, but you're not, you're not unprepared for it. If that makes sense. Like you're, you've been groomed and trained over the past five years to be ready for that 19,000 cap show. Um, so it comes very natural when you get to that point, but my memory, it's like, because we had pretty much 2020 and 2021 off roughly, um, what we left was we had, we were two buses and a truck at the beginning of 2020 when we were on that Aldine tour. 
And you think, okay, cool. We got a truck. Like, that's crazy. This is massive. We have one, we have a semi truck pulling our crap around. Mm -hmm. And then we came back from that to eight buses and 13 trucks. And that was like, what, when did this happen? Like, it was just crazy that you know, my, uh, that the, it grew exponentially, even though we weren't really on the road because Dangerous was released and was doing so well, you know, on its own that when, when we came back into touring, you know, it was almost like we had been touring for two years and never stopped. Um, but I'll say right now, right now, my, there's a few different memories I have from the Dangerous tour. And it's hard to pick a favorite because there's a few for different reasons. Um, Madison Square Garden, it's very hard to compete with doing two nights at Madison Square Garden. So that was, that was something I'll never forget. I mean, that just the stigma of playing that, that iconic venue and all the other people that have walked on that stage or into that room, it's pretty nuts to, to kind of include yourself in that. Um, and then, you know, more recently in the summer, like headlining an amphitheater for the first time, a <clears throat> whole different experience, you know, just to see if people like even these festivals, like we'll do like watershed or Tortuga or, or um, you know, even man, like any of them, they're always like, we did like the Bristol motor speedway last year. And that was like 30,000 or something like that. And it's just nuts. Cause it's just as you can't even see past like half the crowd. Like you just, right. you can, you know, they're there, you can hear them, but you can't see them. And it's just from the stage, it's pretty nuts to, so anytime all that stuff is, man you can't i'll never forget any of those moments when you do them the first time for sure now i like to close all my interviews asking what's a piece of advice you've learned along the way that you'd give to someone that wants to be a professional musician like yourself well i live there's one quote i live by um i don't even know where i heard it who i heard it from um and i don't you know obviously don't this doesn't necessarily apply to everyone i know people that have done it a different way um but for me, what helped was honestly the commitment and dedication you have to your craft or your dream, really. This, this, this quote can apply to anyone's dream, but I use it in this sense is that it's the best piece of advice I can give. And I, when I used to teach at School of Rock down in Florida, you know, like parents would, you know, slightly older kids in their, in their younger teens would ask me kind of the same question. And this is the answer I would give them is that if you are undecided between being in the music industry or doing anything else, like any other occupation. So like, if you, if you're like, man, I really want to be a drummer, but I kind of want to be a doctor. I don't know if you have to, if you can't make that distinct distinction, then go be a doctor. Cause you have to, you have to know ex that it, it is the 100% the thing that you want to do and that it makes up your life. Cause there's going to be a long road to, getting to make that dream a career I think I mean it's definitely possible um it is not an impossible dream but you have to you have to put your whole self into it you can't you can't compartmentalize your mind towards something else you know I mean there's plenty of people I know that did go to college and they had degrees and in music and and I know a lot of people some of those people do play for you know large acts I, I know some of them here um but there are a, a larger group of people that I know have like music degrees that don't even work in the industry um, or, you know, so it's, it's just like, I personally, I tried to go to, to college and college for me just felt like high school all over again. So I was like, I'm done. And I just had to get me in a van and drive me somewhere to go play. Like that's, that was my thing. I wanted to tour. That's 50% of the reason why I do this. I mean, I love music. I love playing drums, 
but the traveling and the touring for me is kind of is a big part of it for me personally for sure but the best best piece of advice to wrap up you got it you have to have, commit your whole self mentally physically and do anything necessary to give yourself the most the best chance or opportunity to to live your dream as corny as that sounds but it's a real thing well guys there you have it my conversation with taco mark thank you again so much for coming on the show i had a great time talking with you everyone go follow him on instagram at mark taco drums and make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with sam burke crew chief and guitar tech for hardy I'd like to give a big thank you to TBD Coffee Co. for being the official coffee of Starting Small Music. Check them out yourself at tbdcoffeeco.com. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram, at Starting Small Music, and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.